0: Get the best odds on all the big games this March. Download the Circus Sports Iowa app today.
1: The Cyclone Fanatic podcast is fueled by Cody Rhodes, Cody Rhodes and recorded in the Wild Rose Casino and Hotel Studio. I am Jeff Woody and we're here with Grant Mahoney this is kicking it like I said on the Cyclone Fanatic podcast network we're here in the Wild Rose Casino and Resort Studios and kicking it is brought to you by Kelvin Manufacturing uh we mentioned it at the during harvest season it is post-harvest season but if you need quit sniffing the microphone Grant it's like doing a podcast with a toddler anyway just checking, just checking my, you know, just how, how far sure, away I am from Just it. making sure that right during the Kelderman read, just make sure this, make sure that the sponsors are super happy
2: if my nose is on it then my lips aren't on it. So
1: that's, I, I guess that's true. Uh, anyway, so thanks to Kelvin manufacturing, Kelderman manufacturing, excuse me, uh, for sponsoring this also, uh, the cycle Emphatic podcast network is fueled by Cody road. I actually saw Ryan Perchette, the Cody road guy, as I was walking in his tail, his tailgate spot was like 40 feet. From where my in-laws tailgate spot was, and he was trying to flag down one of his buddies, doing like literally like jumping up and down, like waving his hands, and he was waving what? the wheat. Nope, Good. don't, don't. Good, don't. I would have had to uh thresh that, would you, chop, thresh, his yeah. chop his wheat, yeah, uh, chop his wheat. But it was like jumping up and down. And I was like, "Is that?" Aaron was like, "Do you know them? Because are you? Is he trying to flag you down?" I was like, "I don't know who that is." And she was like, "No, you absolutely don't know who that is." Was like. Oh, that's right hey ryan i just ahead and say how hi to him. so anyway thanks to ryan for uh, and cody road for sponsoring this anyway iowa state is uh falls to kansas 28 to 20 uh 28 21 excuse me on saturday in what was an extremely weird game and i think the weirdness of it was mostly in officiating and special teams and then the intersection of those two things uh so do you want to start with officiating or special teams and then we can mix them.
2: I want to first start off by saying I'm not sure I should be allowed in Jack Trice Stadium anymore. The last three games I've been to, I have say it is has lost. I've been Kansas, Iowa. And Texas. Texas. I didn't go to a game last year. The year before I went to Texas and Iowa lost them both.
1: Man, don't do that.
2: So, I was going to get season tickets. I was not any any games last year. You would have thought I was at all of them.
1: Yeah. You, okay. Well, maybe you're the not the jinx because last year wasn't good.
2: But I wore... I
1: wear the, the wrong underwear and, and all of the home games last year. Is it the ones that you washed or the ones that you haven't washed yet?
2: The ones that I washed, but they've got the, the Christmas bells on them so you can hear them. Oh
1: okay. Walking down the stairs and just keeps turning over their head. Yeah. It's that guy, it's Is that Chris- the dog or Grant? Nope, that's that's Grant. It's just you got uh, those
2: damn boxes on again, Wash Um <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's let's dive into uh let's dive into officiating man. Um officiating okay. No, time out. Actually, time out. <laughs> Let's not dive into it. I want to. You, you talk about tailgating. I want to talk about tailgating. I stopped at Bloom. Wait, tail- wait.
3: Grant gripes. Grant gripes.
2: This is grants gripes. No, Grant. Uh, grant's positives. Grant's opposite of gripes.
1: Grant's gratitude. Grant's
3: gratitude. Grant's there you go. There
1: you go. Um, grant's greats. Grant's greats. Grant's greats.
2: Grant's greats. Grant's greats. So. um I went to Bloom's tailgate this weekend. Um, went to a few different tailgates, saw some fans. And they, true or
1: false, it's the first time you met Bre- ever met Brent Bloom in person.
2: That's true. He said false. It's definitely true. I said, yeah, you are a short king, Blake Groupie. And he said, I am Blake Groupie. I said, you're having a hell of a year. <laughs> um, then he gave me an Ames lager. Delicious. Um, but as I was bopping around the tailgate, lot saw some fans and uh, people do listen to the show. They were complimenting me on how well we do and they enjoy the show. Complimenting you, not me,
1: not Aiden, not us, complimenting.
3: No, I said people, that like People only say stuff to me when I screw up, so <laughs> it's kind of part of it, I, I guess. I
1: mean,
2: even Bloom. Bloom is like, you guys are doing a great job. Um, My guys, Brad and Bill, uh, they're at Bloom's t- uh, tailgate. They're, they're saying how we do a great job, and
1: so shout out, Brad and Bill. Yeah, I, got, I, I actually do get a lot of shout outs of like, you and Mahoney show, that's really fun. So I think that's that's kind of the ah, so All right. Hopefully it's fun for people. Know, the, the, the point of this is not to be serious if you quite, can't quite pick up on the tone that Grant was sniffing the microphone and... So uh, sniffing the mic. you were absolutely sniffing the microphone anyway grants, greats. okay so let's dive into officiating grant scribes grant scribes so we go from grants grates to grant scribes um officiating so i'm gonna th- sort of hot take for the most part it wasn't as bad as it felt but the one mistake was worse than it than it otherwise would have seemed so the one mistake is obviously the kick return mm-hmm. and um that, the kick return that was so Tariq everyone's would have seen it by now. And, um, Raina Garcia, who's kind of had the shot that everyone's sort of seen on the internet. She's the one that I do the, the side, game day with, so I got to compliment her on that once we actually kind of get in there. But that, that shot right down the sideline, it it showed that he was in, but you can also see the referee giving the dead ball, uh, kind of waving over his head, which is a horrible call. Just a ding bad dude. But and i the thing that i want to like compare and contrast a little bit is the cooper DeGene, um the in it, the invalid fair catch signal and the difference between those is there's an objective wrong there's an objective wrong call and a subjective wrong call or subjective right call either way so the, the by the letter of the law the iowa state call was called incorrectly on the field with the proper mechanics the Iowa call was called correctly on or correct incorrectly on the field with the correct mechanics. So how it what happened, do mean, what do you mean by that? Meaning that it should have happened with the gene the call. It was the right call, but it should have been voided and just killed right on the field. We, we met spent like 20 minutes on that. It should have been dead on the field, uh, but they, so they shouldn't have allowed that kick to to go. And then The so they corrected it in review when it shouldn't have gone to review in the first place. They should have just ruled it dead right there. Versus the process of the the process of what happens when there's an inadvertent whistle, whether it's inadvertent or early whistle. So if at any point if I'm running down the middle of the field and just at any point referee does one of those, plays done doesn't matter. Plays done whether he like has the whistle in his mouth and just like coughs and blows blows the whistle. Plays done at that point it doesn't matter. Now there is a, I actually talked to so Zach Spears, teammate of ours. It's currently an official down at, like doing D two and D three games, Juco games down in Texas, trying to work his way up and could he use him on Saturday. Yeah. Um, and I try, I, I'll ask him kind of what that is. And so like, he's normally going to play like defend the referees as most other referees are, it, you know, just because it's a hard job and knowing the mechanics of something fraternity makes you understand. Yeah. But one of the things that he says, like an inadvertent whistle, that guy himself, feels horrible for having called that because he knows that it's wrong but did he inadvertently throw his hands over his head well it's not inadvertent it's just he it was a it was an incorrect whistle like it wasn't even inadvertent it was an incorrect whistle Mm -hmm. when it was objectively in the wrong spot so he's probably going to get sanctioned by whatever the refereeing governing body whether he gets demoted or just doesn't get another assignment he also is hurting the rest of the crew. Because that crew getting promoted to different games and doing different bowl games and getting their grades, that's a substantial negative grade because it's an objectively wrong call at the at a wrong time. Like the whole refereeing crew felt the incorrectness of that call, but you can't change it. Like that's just one of those like too bad, so sad situations, which is horrible for everybody involved except Kansas.
2: Yeah, and that and that really sucked too. Is that the reason why Iowa State lost? No. no. No, no. But you know, going from had Iowa State had the ball inside the five. I don't know if it was at the out of the three, the one, he almost took it back. Um it was on the it was on the what have on the two. Yeah. So had Iowa State gotten the ball to start at the two, I'm gonna say there's a ninety nine percent chance they get at least three points. Instead, we start at the Iowa State starts 31. at 31, get a penalty, end up punting from the thirty eight. Get a penalty and get sacked. Yes. So they end up punting from the thirty eight, which not trying to do, you know, go off on a tangent here, but I'm not sure why we didn't attempt a field goal from the thirty eight. It's only a fifty five yarder. Or if Perkins, you know, we did, we were going to decide to punt, which is what Iowa state decided to do. Why not take a delay of game
1: to back it up a little bit? Yeah. I, that one I, I thought was, I think they were frazzled legitimately. I think the coaching staff was frazzled. Sure, I mean, sure. Yeah. Because of they're probably to like all the things the that, that, that happened. And, um, so the other thing that I want to like compare and contrast this with is it is the same in that with the Dejean thing, it is the same. Iowa state was on the 31. If they do a quarterback sneak three times they're 31 the 31 yard line is a 49 yard field goal, right? Where it's at chase Contreras to this point through the season, you can count probably he's missed what three field goals. He's first team season. all big 12. Yeah. So he's probably going to be first team all big Twelve. first team all big 12. He, that's a, I don't want to say automatic, but you can count on three points, but they went penalty sack. And so same thing. I Cooper gene returns the thing to it for a touchdown. It gets called back. Fans are all, mightily pissed off for a reason or good reason bad reason doesn't matter all the offense needs to do then is execute a little bit and you score did brian
2: ferentz sneak into the
1: press box oh, but the other one that i want to say so uh iowa state got the ball from the the their own 40 on in twice so that means 60 yards to go they got the ball from their own 40 on in twice do you know what the result of those drives were i don't want to know i'm i guess not good pick six mm. Got the ball in thirty-one punted. Those two things you can control. Those, I, like, I one of the things I, that bothers me is you can you can have two things be true at the same time. Where that was a shitty call. Like objectively, it was the wrong call. The referees knew it. Uh, Iowa State knew it. The refereeing governing body knows it. Kansas knows it. Like everybody knows that was the wrong call. But to say that if they got it on the two, Iowa State wins that game, or if they get there, if if this, if this, if this, if this, so what? They threw a pick six when they had the ball on the 40 yard line going in on the first play. You have great field position. You get a three and out. It's a great field position. Throw a pick six, then get the ball on the 31 and you go penalty sack. Like that is 100% miss execution. Now, why did they execute that wrong? I, what I would scratch this up to is two things. And this is what I feel like the general theme of the Kansas game was, is that Iowa State is a young team who is progressing non linearly, which at all progress is non linear. You take four steps forward, you take one or two steps back, you take five steps forward, you take one or two steps back. Last week against Baylor, they learned how to win ugly. Like it was a gross game, it was rainy. You know we talked about they played a b- minus game and they still won by 12. almost almost did it again this week but then almost did it again this week Jason but Bean they, had to do a, they came teams. out flat and miss executing i don't know if they thought they were just going to be better than ever better than kansas or they just didn't have a the scheme right they didn't execute very well in the first half and then by the time the second half rolled around you're in a 14 17 point hole and you have to dig yourself out of it and so this team is learning lessons on the way by or on the way as they go because they are so young so you can't like you can be disappointed that they lost, but it's also, it's a young team progressing non linearly So that's the first takeaway. The second takeaway, Lance Leipolk can coach, man.
2: And that's what I was just going to say is that Kansas did a really great job. I had talked about, you know, on our last podcast that Iowa state needs to get out to a, uh, get
1: a good lead, get the crowd behind them. And that game would have been, could have, you know, play if this, if, if Iowa state scores in their first drive and they get a three and out, and let's say they even score a field goal with as much energy as that stadium had coming in and would have had, that's a very different game.
2: And Kansas did a great job of when Iowa State had momentum, when, when the momentum was swinging Iowa State's way, they did a great job of killing it. You know, they immediately, especially the, immediately. the big play in the second and, half. And Iowa State, you know, whatever it was, you know, Rocco was half yard short on the first drive. Kansas goes, which was down the to correct scores. call. As, as it was, it's,
1: it, it was the correct call as knee hit the ground, like we can be mad about this is the correct call.
2: And then Kansas goes and scores, they're up 7 nothing Crowd's kind of quiet the entire time. Iowa State doesn't really get anything going. So the crowd is just out of the game for most of it. And then by the time the crowd's getting it back in, you know, when Iowa State's getting back in the game, the crowd's behind them.
1: The first play, they throw a bomb. And, to, so, to the guy. and here's the thing. So, two things when I say Lance Leipold as a dude of a coach, they went so after where Cooper was the entire time. They went after, and I thought, should have been, I was thinking because. Jeremiah Cooper's more involved in pass defense than run defense. Like when you compare Malik Verdun and Bo Freeler at safety versus Jeremiah Cooper's run responsibilities, Freeler and Verdun have more run responsibilities than Cooper does, generally, the positions that they play. I didn't think Jason Bean was going to be able to throw be as effective in the passing game as they was so I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal I missed on that one because me too that's what I said last week I said that we need to force them to throw the ball and they threw the ball they they, they couldn't run the ball well and they formationed and so yeah Lance Leipold the two things about him being really good is they formationed and routed their way to the point where they're getting the the matchup they want with one of their big receivers or their slot receiver that the little white guy who just kind of scats around grim great game grim uh those guys they're formationing those guys into the point where they're man to man with whoever cooper is going to be replacing because that's what good offense good offenses tend to do that is that you're going to say all right we want to get josh Lenz one-on-one with their outside linebacker okay well if we go trips to this side then they're going to put the nickel over here but if we go two by two then they leave the nickel on one side. Well, then that's motion lens to make it and starts in two by two motion him to get to three by one. Well, now we got there. That's what a lot, a lot of the wide receiver motions are. It's not necessarily, it's, it's partly to get a, a sense of where the coverage is gonna be. Cause the whole, if you have a guy running with you, it's man, if you don't, then it's probably zone. But there's also ways of saying, if we line up in this strength over here, we put this defensive end and this linebacker on the right side, well, and then we want to run to the left side, so we're going to run a formation this way, and then trade to the other side, so then we can get to this linebacker. It's trying to your formationing and play calling your way into matchups, and Lance Leipold did that perfectly. Almost every single big play was to the guy who was in for Jeremiah Cooper,
2: and you notice, yeah, they, they would they would Kansas would motion a tight end or whoever across, and then if it was Nickel or Thompson, I'd go with him, and I. Yeah, they're, they're going to throw right. There are a lot of plays right, right in front of me. I, I thought they're going right
1: at that guy, and, and there,
2: there was one that they needed on in fourth down uh, in the fourth quarter. I think Nickel was in there, and he just he got caught behind.
1: They ran. It was a. It was pretty. It was a beautiful pick yeah, play. Yeah, it was. It was the. It was the one basically to seal. Yeah. Not to to seal the game. It was the first first down on the last drive when they're in grind tempo, but like they, it was a great number two runs it vertical, and you're, he is trying to slow his pace down to where whoever is over or the number one receiver is running as slow as he can to get in the way of the guy who's over the number two receiver and then just make him go underneath or over top of that bubble kind of grabs him a little bit uh you're never going to get that call as an offensive pass interference not never you're going to get that call one out of a thousand times uh but the other thing on the other side of the ball that Leipel did a really good job of is showing looks that got the protections to change in a way that gives your best pass rushers one on ones with Iowa State's worst offensive lineman, or where you feel like you have the best matchup. So number eight, they're big, tall kind of. He's there. He's there. Will McDonald. He's big, tall, skinny guy. I mean, relatively skinny. He's probably I don't know six five, maybe two forty, which is pretty yeah, thin for a, a football skinny, player. Yeah, he's a little man. You know. uh, anyway, they would get formation him to the point where. So okay, let me take a step back for a second, a little behind the scenes how offensive line protections work is there's there's always going to be a zone component and a man component uh and there's a continuum between all man and all zone so there's there's everywhere in between there all man means there's five guys up or six guys up and basically the tackle someone the call whatever the call is is you take tackle takes number 79 and the guard takes number 93 and like you just everybody goes i got that guy That's a very rare instance, and it's when it's an all-out blitz. And then an all-zone is when they're bringing like six or more, and you don't know exactly who's coming, and then you go, all right, everybody move to your left. Like, I don't know if you watched the... We're recording this on uh, Monday. I don't know if you watched the Sunday night game. Uh, The Bengals, like Chris Collinsworth called it out for the Bengals because I think they called it uh, Lester. Like, they just... Joe Burrow shouted, Lester, Lester, Lester. And that just meant every one of the offensive linemen goes left. And so that's an all-zone. In the middle, though, is half of the line is running a zone protection and they're going like to their right and then the other guys are picking up the two most dangerous pass rushers on the left and then sometimes you can do that as the tackle is a man and then the guard is so there's all, all kinds of protections but most of the time there's a zone component and a man component what kansas did a really good job of is forcing with pressure looks the zone coverage or the zone protection to go where they wanted so they could get a one-on-one with the guy they wanted to get. So there wasn't necessarily a ton of free runners. It's not like they just missed guys. It was the fact that they were getting beat because Kansas had the advantage of their best pass rusher on somebody who couldn't pick up the blitz against that person. It's usually James Neal, was having a rough day again, uh, but it was because the, he didn't have any help. Like he, they formationed him on an island, and that is all play calling and like things that Iowa State as an offensive line and as a coaching staff is gonna learn when teams do this, our guy can't do the thing that we need them to do. So we're going to have to change the rule that we normally use. So we can't go zone to this side or we can't go man to this side. So like Leipold can coach. Like that was the the big takeaway is that they, they knew how to get what they wanted and they actually got it. And still Iowa state almost won. You know what they can't do though?
2: Kick the football, kick the football and boy, I felt bad for Keller and their short King 91.
1: Um, Who, who's short in a 40 yarder.
2: Yeah. So he was short previous week. That's a, uh, Michael Swain said on our, on our podcast last week, he was short in their previous game from 42, this game from 41. He was short, man. I felt bad for, him. he he came over to the bench. I was, I was at the game. I was behind their bench. He came back to the bench. No one said anything to him. I, I, should, I shouldn't say it. A couple people said like, Oh, like, you know, get him next time, whatever. And then he didn't play the rest of the game. He nope, sat there. He, he sat there on the bench by himself the rest of the game. And I've been there, man, you're in a funk. No, one's talking to you. You're just sitting there stewing, just stewing on what went wrong. I could tell you, you I didn't even need to see the results. I could just see just watching him, just his kick. I could tell you, ah, that was not good. No confidence. <laughs> they do had no confidence. You could tell he's up there aiming. And when, you, when you're start, when you're when you're aiming the ball, you are
1: well. He missed that one low by like four inches. Like he he barely got ball. Oh, it was bad. He barely got was ball. Bad. That was mostly grass.
2: And I was um, it was bad. You know, I I told I was standing next to Drew Davis at the game, and I, I told Drew I said big group, Drew six ten. Yeah, I was like Drew. I I I'm not trying to sound cocky right now, but I could probably step out there right now in my jeans and these shoes and probably hit a 41 yarder without stretching. And this guy, Division one athlete, third fourth year whatever. He's in his youth here. I mean, you're 21 dudes flexible. You know, I'm sure he stretches. I don't short from 41 felt bad for him. Um, but you know, a- after that came, you know, after that kick their their backup kicker, the, the left foot kick, I didn't know who it was. And I was like, Hey, 34, 34. He's like, yeah, what? Which I thought was weird because like someone like fans are talking <laughs> shit to, you, you know, from, from the, you know, say, Oh, excuse me, what did you say? I can't hear you. I was like 34, can you kick? And the guy's like, no, cause I know who he was. No, no, I can't. I was like, 91 can't. I was like, "Can you kick?" He's like, "No." And then he goes out there, misses a fifty-yard. He comes back to the bench, and I said, "You were lying, thirty-four. You can't <laughs> kick either."
1: <laughs> so that is solid shit talk. Kicker yeah. to kicker trash talk on the bench. Yeah, there, but, there
2: was there was another guy, Um, and we we can dive into hidden yardage if you got it too. We yeah, I do got hidden um, yardage. We, we can dive into that if this. I'll just one last kind of shit talking piece. Number fifteen for them was just jabbing. Uh was oh, a nickel, yeah. yeah. Just jabbing at the fans the, the entire time, just talking shit to us the entire time, and um. I said something to him just to shut him off. I was like, if you're out there making plays, why is your Jersey so clean? And I see him and him and the guy next to him just laughing. Cause he's, you know, uh-huh. if, if you're making tackles, you're, you're, and then was it fourth quarter when Bramer once had a touchdown. Um, I think he must've been the guy guarding him. Uh-huh. Um, he comes, he comes over and puts his like his seatbelt on. Yeah. I'm like, okay, get out of here. 15.
1: That was, uh, also number two. So it the, is that Kobe Bryant? Was that, it was yeah. number two, Kobe Bryant? Yeah. Uh, hell of a cover corner, but also would, uh Anytime there was a penalty, would just do like, "It's on you," kind of like pointing back the other way. And then at one point, uh, he was like, "It's on you guys." And then they're like, "Neutral zone infraction, defense." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Hey, hey, do that's on you guys. Point it back." It's uh, I'm in like the 37th row, so it's not really that. Couldn't quite. I was get... in the front row. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, Tufty, Last time we were, we had like an alumni game. Tufty was in the front row you talk same same seeds a plus it, it was it was
2: a, the texas game two years ago yeah
1: a plus trash talk and tufty can project yeah he can he has a he has an outside voice he's a booming voice there's a guy behind us who had a booming voice and he was he was talking shit to the guy in the, on the bicycle hey number 40 the donut shops a ways away <laughs> oh, no. it's a good fun trash talk is fine yeah uh when, when you get too personal that's not okay but like good good fun trash talk like that yeah. i appreciate that mm-hmm. like always get the uh the the best fan trash talk that we got and then we'll get the hidden yards. was when we were in West Virginia, we ended up winning. It was the three overtime game. And we would do like warm up lines where like the quarterbacks would throw fades. Like you start one, one line is on like, let's say the 40 yard line running towards the end zone on the sideline. And another group is on in the goal line or on the goal line running out on the hash. And so you're just kind of running back, sort of back at each other and the quarterbacks are in the middle, just throwing fades. Um, and, there every time that I would come up because at this point I'm playing mostly fullback it's the end of season I was like a solid 255 like a like a decent spare tire like an like an off-roading spare tire and uh every time I was up they would cheer and then as soon as (laughs) the ball would leave the quarterback's hand to get to me like the fans that were there they would go "Ah!" and then (laughs) as soon as I would catch it they would just like lose their minds like applauding and so I, I got to the point where I started doing it like I would catch it and like I'd flash the ball up to him and like just celebrate with him and they just the West Virginia fans just started loving it so like yeah I mean uh, the fat white guy catches a, a fade ball in warm-ups they probably don't know that I actually do play but I appreciate like a solid good-hearted trash talk
2: it, when I was uh when we're talking trash talking we dive into hidden yardage I, I mean I've, I've heard a bunch um kickers though they're out there you know what 30 minutes before everyone else when the stadium's pretty empty and we're playing at Colorado at this point they don't like the fans are there so early they don't even have like the the warm up like music going so you can hear anything any anything anybody's saying these fans in Colorado opposite corner were were yelling at me and Geyer um and they're like hey 21 21 where would they find you at the homeless shelter and then like you you better hold on to something it's pretty windy cuz i was like yeah like a buck 40 yeah i was like well, not that
1: light like a, a buck 10 buck 50 um
2: but I was like, man, like that's really rude, guys. Like I've been working hard in the weight room if you guys say <laughs> <to> me, like
1: <laughs> I'm really trying, man. I'm really trying hard. Run over with them. I curled
2: thirty five pounds, okay. Thirty five pound dumbbells.
1: One of them, one at a time. I could yeah I could, if I put my hands
2: on both heads of the dumbbell, I can do
3: the thirty five. That was the
2: same game that which we, we talked about with Jake that uh I hit one nine deep and then they took it back for a touchdown. Yeah, that wasn't fun.
3: You, you guys really missed out on COVID games though. when there's nobody that oh, wow. oh my like god, that would have been me? weird. Me and four or five of my college buddies. So during COVID, you had to sit in your spot if you had a student ticket. Like there wasn't no GA or anything like that. But my family had season tickets. So I sat with my family and then sent them all tickets, like a screenshot, mm-hmm. and they Photoshop all of it so the security guards would let them go down into the section where no one was supposed to be, basically. So we sat right behind the OU bench when Rattler came to Ames. Oh, and my roommate made it was just like a white sheet of notebook paper it just said rattler stinks on it. <laughs> <laughs> and that was our that was our battle cry. It was just Rattler Stinks. He went there's a, I can show you after this, but he went viral on TikTok for it because someone got a video of it. And by the end of it, you know, he threw a pic to end the game. So we had been saying Rattler and all this stuff. And we started the Rattler Stinks chant and we had like little kids joined in on it. Grandparents did. It was one of the closest oh, of his, yeah. his <laughs> offensive line <laughs> coach. Oh, come on,
1: man. Rattler stinks. Rattler stinks. Uh, Grant gripes. So, <laughs> um, okay. Hidden yardage for the, as a refresher for those, uh, if I start in the 20 and you start in the 30, I need to gain 10 yards on that drive just to get to where you started. If we add up all the totals of those yardages, then that is the hidden yardage for the game. Usually this is counted as an average, but when you compare it to the stat book, it actually compares uh like it takes it, it, it basically you take from whoever is the leading yard gainer, it's almost identical. So let's say take from if Iowa State won it, you take yards away from Kansas, because that's how much they would have had to gain to get to where Iowa State started. So, um Grant, what do you think hidden yardage wise on total for the game was? We're not negating any of the drives even though Kansas at the very end did take a knee. We're not negating any of the drives.
2: Okay. Um so total yards Kansas had 361, Iowa State had 333. This this is what stood out to me. I guess just kind of talking about yardage. Iowa State held Kansas to 74 total yards on 35 rushing attempts, 2.1 yards per rush. That's pretty good. Um I'm going to say that uh, Iowa State had the advantage by 60 yards. Aiden?
3: I think Iowa State definitely had the advantage, but I don't know the number. So I'm going to go like Iowa State plus 30. 104. Oh. For Iowa State. Iowa State was a 104 hidden yard advantage. They also,
1: this was the lowest possession game of the year, including Ohio. So there was, Kansas had nine, or excuse me. Yeah, Kansas had, Iowa State had 10 possessions. Kansas had nine possessions. Mm. So there was an, it's an incredibly low possession game and iowa state's average starting field position was on their own 32 kansas was on their own 24 uh so uh, iowa state i think the reason why this game it was so frustrating that iowa state lost is because they stopped the run and special teams was obviously better like that that sort of underlying feeling of like why is this game the way it's going iowa state was obviously better kansas missed two field goals gave up this giant return and Perkins their, their, their punter wasn't that great either. No, he, he
2: was dropping the ball all wonky and, and shit. He was, you know, you started interrupted you there you, you, when you're, when you're going to punt, you want, it's almost like you're, you're shaking someone's hand the way you're, you want to hold the ball. This guy would, you know, like in seventh grade and you, you, you just learn how to punt, you grab the ball and you just kind of toss it in there and kick it. Mm-hmm. That that's like a mix between that and like shaking someone's hand. This guy, if you go back and watch the game, which is really nerd, like you probably don't need to, but their punter would drop the ball way early and like the tip of the ball and the ball itself.
1: Would, there were sometimes he was, he was hitting it um, like 180 degrees rotation were the wrong point.
2: Yeah. So like the, like the, like the points were hit were facing left and right when he
1: hit it instead of forward and backwards. Oh, so it was 90 degrees wrong. Yeah. It was, it was almost like the, the ball was at like
2: a, like a, like a 10 and a five if you're on a clock. Not even that it was, it was bad.
1: It was weird. Uh, But yeah, I would say was objectively 10, 5,
2: 10, 10 and four, you know what I'm saying?
1: Say. Yeah. It's good enough. Uh, iowa State was objectively better in special teams and they held kansas to very few r- yards rushing but still managed to lose the game and i think i would it comes down to two three excuse me three plays slash drives it's when that kick return got stalled and it's not just that it's and then iowa state went backwards because if they hit that field goal it's different uh number two is the pick six is if that doesn't happen then kansas has 21 points offensively they didn't really do a lot outside of the third play which is they ran it was an option slash bubble go like the number three was the guy who ended up catching the touchdown pass number three meaning count from the outside in one two three receivers in the number three faked like he was blocking a linebacker and then took off down the field and freeler and thompson 22 thompson um crashed up to try and stop the option and the whatever the bubble pass was going to be and Verdun was like shit like this guy is running free it's not my responsibility but i'm going to try and get underneath it anyway i thought he was going to get a hand on almost it almost did good uh, effort but he i mean it was and then f- 22 didn't play for the rest of the game is so you whenever you see that that essentially tells you who is responsible for that big mistake but it was those three things that if those three things go differently Iowa State wins that game now it, there's so many other things you could yeah. say that if this if this you get the ball in 31 Regardless of the momentum or whatever the stuff had happened and you do nothing with it, you go backwards and you punt. You throw a pick six and you give up a giant play on a busted coverage. Those three things are what lost Iowa State the game, despite the fact that special teams won.
2: And you know what? We were, you know, Iowa State was still in the game and Kansas is a good team. I'm just I'm really proud of this team, the way that they have responded to adversity and just how young they are and they are progressing every week. The offensive line has gotten better every week and I don't know. I'm 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 hopeful, I'm cautiously optimistic. You know, had you I think early in the year, I think I called it Jeff. Said this team, I think it's going to go six and six, seven, and five next year, 10 win season.
1: Uh, I'm still hanging on to that. I don't, especially with the, the schedule, the schedule's, uh, you know, beneficial. Mm-hmm. So while we're talking about schedule, we're going to, we are going to lead into the Goldfinch ethics interview. We, we have Jake Hatch from 247 sports. He also does uh hooked on Cougars podcast, locked on, locked on, sorry, locked on Cougars. My bad. Uh, it's locked on Cougars podcast, um, for BYU. This is actually, I feel like the, one of the most, if you see the long episode title, like normally the interview with a person is like 20 minutes, we got like 36 and it was all A plus solid. So yeah. uh, Goldfinch Athletics interview for just a sponsor, just again, a little bit of a shout out. If you want some Christmas presents, we're actually just about to do a fall order, get some sweatshirts, zip ups, uh, joggers, really high quality stuff. Flannels? Not quite yet, but maybe. All right. Uh, fitness.tier.com sign up and create an account using gold one and you get 20% off of everything that tier makes everything. And we get a little bit of, a little bit of juice from that as well. And you also kind of get whether it's branded or custom branded and custom branded or tier branded stuff. So, uh, without any further ado, golf and shut interview with Jake Hatch of 247
2: sports. And now we welcome in Jake Hatch with 247. He writes for 247 also does a podcast for BYU Cougars called locked on Cougars. Jake, thanks for taking some time and speaking with us today.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me guys. How are you doing? Pretty well
2: yourself doing doing
1: good. Yeah. I mean, I apologize if I start coughing, it's not a disease, <laughs> uh, but if you hear just like random wheezing, that's, I apologize for that. That's not, not a Jeff's job. disease.
2: Yeah. yeah. Jeff's disease that makes me cough. It's not that
1: one. Yeah,
0: it's, it's, uh, it's football season. Come on. We're, we're all, we're all
2: dealing with something at this point. That's right. It's flannel season, baby. I'm a flannel like 70 on. out here.
0: Ah. What's the
1: weather right now in Provo?
0: Uh, well, as they were recording this, it's uh,
1: upper 60s. But by the time this probably comes out, 40s. So oh. it's, it's going to change real quick on us this week. That's a that's a plus football weather though. I, I mean, are we talking like wet 40? Are we talking like like snow? Uh, are we talking like dry desert air 40?
0: This this weekend when Iowa State gets here, there's a chance for some rain in the forecast. And with how cold it might be, there's a chance it could change to snow. Most of the week though, it's
1: supposed to be that dry desert air. Yes,
2: mm. that'd be sweet. First game at First BYU game. snow game.
1: <laughs> just 41 and just just little light little snow powder yeah. on there welcome
2: to BYU
1: welcome
2: to the mountains anyway Well, let's dive into it Jake so this is obviously um BYU's first year in the Big 12 kind of a rough go of it right now what uh, what's the morale like in in Provo for the, for the Cougars
0: uh, had you asked me that question a month ago, it would have been doing pretty well because BYU was four and one at that point. But obviously, the month of October and the early returns here in November have not been pretty. BYU sits at five and four, uh, coming off two very lopsided losses at Texas and at West Virginia. So uh, there is a little bit of panic setting in for BYU fans out there because they're concerned that BYU may go from being what was once five and two and looked like they were as a matter of time they before they got bowl eligible to now questioning. Okay, if they don't pick up. A win maybe over iowa state they're going to face back-to-back ranked opponents to finish the season at, at home to oklahoma and then at oklahoma state there's a real possibility the cougars could go from being five and two to losing out and going five and seven
2: that's a yeah that's a, that's a tough final stretch there too um so we we had just had on uh, michael swain last week because Iowa State just played kansas he had mentioned that you know kansas struggled uh has struggled on at, at away games um they came in names and, and beat us um yeah. How has BYU been? Have they been... Um, well, BYU obviously- is
1: undefeated at home. So that's yes. the thing. It's, and that, that's, it's 4-0. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you. Okay. Because the teams they beat at home in in conference have been Cincinnati. Is it Cincinnati and Texas Tech have been those Correct. the two yes. teams they've gotten at home? And they mm-hmm. kicked the shit out of Texas Tech. Uh, it was... <laughs> It was
0: quite a game. Uh, Texas Tech had a, had their third string quarterback playing Jake Strong at that point. So BYU took advantage of that. But, yeah, you're right. They, they have held serve on their home turf, and that's always going to be the equation for BYU success is to be successful at home. The problem is their four losses, all of them on the road, all of them in conference. They've not been able to get over the hump on the road. So I guess it is an advantage that they're coming back home to Lavelle Edwards Stadium when Iowa State comes in. But they, they, they need to get a bounce back win because those two losses the last two weeks have have
1: uh, them feeling like okay we're a little bit vulnerable here yeah I think another one of the main BYU points that I think the Iowa State fans will probably get to is the whole Keaton Slovis being on his 19th school and he <laughs> hasn't played he hasn't played he didn't play last week was he a healthy scratch or was it an injury he, and if he, so what's the ha- what's ha- going on with Keaton Slovis right now
0: so uh, he is dealing with some injuries. Apparently it was just an accumulation of stuff that finally caught up with him is the way it was been described to me by people inside the program. A lot of people out there thought that he was, he was afraid he was ducking uh, West Virginia after he was at Pitt last year and had a little expletive that, uh, that was during that backyard brawl uh, press conference, but no, he was, he was injured. BYU said they wanted to give him some time off. Now they do have their backup, Jake Retzloff, who was the number one ranked uh, Juco uh, quarterback in this past recruiting class who they wanted to keep the red shirt on him. So, they ventured that window where he could play and not uh, burn a red shirt. So they said, "You know what? Let's let Keaton rest this week." They said it's literally a day by day, week by week thing with regards to Keaton Slovis. So his status for this week is going to be up in the air. It feels like all week long, but uh, they wanted to get a look at Jake Rutzloff, and uh, it really felt like in many ways he might have been the one redeeming factor coming out of that West Virginia game, which otherwise was uh, it was it was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah,
1: it was thirty-seven to three. Is that what the final score? Thirty-seven. Thir- yeah, oh, seven. Sorry, It's okay. Uh, for, I think we've talked about this before, but just as a, as a reference, my, on my, my senior year, we had the worst we I was, I was on the team for the worst three game stretch in Iowa state football history, the story okay. quality history of Iowa state football, including a loss that was 73 to seven at oh. Baylor. So I've been there for some bad losses, but yeah. how does, so how does the, the offense differ? if Slovis is in there versus if he's not, I mean, no, granted, you say it's only seven points. It's on the road against, we just a small sample size, but what changes with how they run it? Cause Slovis is a very pro style quarterback to me. Yes. Like he's very stand there distribute. when he's at his best it's distribute. He can hit the quote, every portion of the field. He can throw it down the field. Mm-hmm. Anything's quick when he's bad. He holds onto it too long, making bad decisions. So how does that differ? If he, if the if he's off the field and they've got the backup in,
0: uh, well, it, it changes, as you mentioned, because Eden is, he's a, he's a guy who's going to make plays from the pocket. He's not the most mobile quarterback out there. We all knew that when he was coming into BYU. Jake Retzloff, on the other hand, uh, many of you, many of your listeners and your, you guys yourselves will remember Zach Wilson. What he was doing at BYU is he was a guy who liked to make plays with his arm. But he was kind of, yeah, who's that? Great great question. But uh, he liked to be a little bit Houdini-like in terms of like rolling out of the pocket when pressure was there. But tr- still keeping his eyes downfield and trying to make plays, but when needed, to use his feet uh, to get himself out of trouble. That's more what Jake Retzloff offers to this offense is he has got the ability to scramble a little bit. You can do some design QB run if you need to in this offense uh, to open some things up. And the way BYU's rushing attack has been this year, it's been downright abysmal. Uh, the, the stats don't say anything about that. Uh, it's been a welcome addition to have him have that element added into the offense because BYU, just with Keaton Slovis there, he does not offer that element. And that's absolutely crippled their offensive attack.
2: So I know that, um, you know, BYU has had some some studs come out, you know, obviously, Zach Wilson, Tyler Aguirre, Pukunakua. Who do they have? Who, who would be the next uh, NFL guy that maybe we should should keep an eye out for on Saturday? If, if there is one,
0: uh, the the one that I would have pointed to a month ago was Ben Bywater, their star middle linebacker. But then he went and played against Kansas, and ended up with a shoulder injury that has cost him the entire season. Well, the rest mm-hmm. of this. I should say uh, he's done for the year. He has been that lifeblood of that defense. The last two years has had a back-to-back hundred tackle seasons coming into Man. this year. So losing him, uh, it, it's a big blow because he was an NFL guy. The other guy I would point to in terms of NFL opportunities, is Kingsley, Sue, is their star left tackle. He's getting a lot of NFL draft hype with regards to being a potential first round draft pick, very light on his feet. He's got all the size you want in a tackle, six, six, 330 pounds, but moves extremely well for that height and weight. So, um, uh, he's the guy. If you're a, if you're an offensive line junkie, keep an eye on him. He wears the number seventy eight out there. He'll Be anchoring the left side of BYU's offensive line. Uh, he is far and away BYU's top NFL draft prospect.
1: So there's uh, this is Kalani Sataki has had mostly successful seasons. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's really only one or two that you could say were like average. And the the floor so far for BYU has been like seven and six. Yeah, you know, right. Is that the worst record? I think it's the worst record. It's like two thousand. <laughs> His 21? second
0: year, yeah. His second year in 2017, actually, they went four and nine. That was the okay. bottoming out. And you mentioned the kind of the baseline outside of that has been has been like seven and six. You're right. But uh that four and nine season, I'll just add uh, some history for your listeners. That four and nine record was the worst uh since before Lavelle Edwards took over the program in the early 1970s. So uh mm-hmm. that one and they, they've been to a bowl game every year, uh, before that and after that in Kalani's run as head coach. So it's been a fairly steady program, yeah.
1: So this is the first time since 2017 you said Mm -hmm. so first time since 2017 they faced probably the the stretch that they've been on this is the first time that there's really been uh the boat's been rocked substantially uh I would imagine he seems like a guy that like when you watch him interact whether it's on players or press conferences or just on the field like he just seems like the nicest human being but absolute just fire competition Mm -hmm. how has he reacted to this uh, because it's not just getting, it's not just losing. Because when you're playing against West Virginia, I think they gave up like was like three hundred yards plus. rushing. Yeah, three hundred plus yards rushing. And like you have when you're getting manhandled, but your focus is on being the tougher, more aggressive team. How is that kind of resonating? Like, what's the reverb from that? Has it been a challenge? Has it been? more emotionally kind of, hey, what are you guys, what are you feeling? Like, how has he responded to that? Because it's sort of right at the heart of Kalani being giving up rushing yards like that.
0: Well, I can tell you, I just uh, right before I joined you guys to record this podcast, he did his weekly press conference, and I'll just say he was perturbed is probably the best term to to say because he is a defensive coordinator. That's what he made his mark as at the University of Utah, at Oregon State before taking over as BYU's head coach, and he prides himself on having a tough, physical football team. But as you mentioned, they got absolutely manhandled by the West Virginia Mountaineers, and uh, I think that's stuck in his craw a little bit. That hey, we we allowed that team to push us around. we should not be allowing that. And uh, a lot of his answers uh, pointed to the fact that it was embarrassing to use that term with regards to the loss to West Virginia. So he wants nothing more than for his guys to bounce back this week. And uh, I, I would venture a very strong guess that has been
1: made very clear, clear in team meetings already. I would imagine it's not necessarily a personnel thing. It might be, but I would imagine, did he indicate that it was more an attention to detail thing or an effort thing? Because those I, are the two things that most coaches will go yeah. to. You're never going to say like, Unless you're Deion Sanders. Like our guys suck. Like you're never gonna say that. But these guys suck. I'm these guys suck. I'm gonna replace him. Get him him out of here. Get here. That's hey, someone I want play for. Deion, thanks, buddy. Uh, yeah. but like, unless you're one of those, it's he's either gonna say, we weren't, we didn't try hard enough, we didn't fight hard enough, or we just uh were off in the details. Like, which one of those two things do you think he was kind of hinting towards in giving up that many rushing yards? Uh, he used the term desire
0: and want to at one point, ah, so that will point to the effort side yes. of things. And that, trust me, you watch that game, and there was there was desire and want to that was lacking for the BYU football program. There's no doubt about it in that West Virginia game. And the funny thing about it was, is they lost pretty pronounced, uh, pretty badly to Texas the week before. But I would say BYU competed far better in terms of just the overall want to in that game, even though the score line was very, very similar. I think it was 36 to six and uh, 37 to seven the last two weeks for BYU. So it's it's, it's not. Not been pretty. Uh, for the Cougars. But yeah, uh, he pointed to that. Now, they were depleted along the defensive front. A couple of defensive linemen they were hoping to have against uh, West Virginia were unavailable. So there is some personnel losses, but they have not had any uh, more personnel depletion than any other season I've tracked them. And I've been doing this for uh, this is my 14th season uh, covering BYU football. So th- th- they can't point to the personnel thing because, in re- relative terms, they're about on par with most of their other seasons in terms of guys being missed. But yeah, it's sounds like it was more of a yeah the desire the want to the overall effort was lacking
2: has that been has stopping the run game has that been um I guess a consistent issue for BYU through the season or is that just kind of a one-off versus West Virginia and, or Texas. La-
0: and well or yeah person? The last two games, Texas and West Virginia, they struggled to, to contain the, the rushing attacks. And it's actually been something that they had kind of hung their hat on this season was actually they were pretty decent against uh, run running backs. And they had held a lot of these better running backs they had faced before that to blow 100 yards in terms of the individual efforts. And it was kind of crazy. The last two weeks, they've been exposed in that regard. And uh, you can guarantee because Jay Hill, who uh, coached with Kalani at Utah, and they came up under Kyle Whittingham. And Kyle Whittingham's whole MO is we stopped the run and we run the football. That's kind of the whole success pattern that Utah has established, and Kalani and Jay want nothing more than to be able to do that, to stop the run, and obviously on offense run the football to control the game. Well, the two uh, chief weaknesses right now for BYU are their inability to run the football and their inability to stop opposing rushing
1: attacks. So it's a its a pretty uh, bleak picture right now for the Cougars after the last two weeks. This is the, uh, you're the, you're the first guest on that we've had from one of the new four schools, kind of that have kind of, yeah. Uh, the in relegation the promotion relegations because you guys got promoted from once to the other i think oklahoma and texas are getting relegated so out of the big 12. Yeah. Uh, so with these do you think it has something to do because from this point from everything prior to this year byu has they've been independent for forever right
0: yes. and so, uh,
1: 12 seasons before this yes yeah so they've been independent for a long time so they can schedule they can bounce back and forth between playing the holy war and then playing against you know uh you know, Washington Savannah State, Savannah State, like some in they, the middle of the season, they, you don't have to they play. Really have done that. They, they went from playing Utah to playing Savannah State
0: in one year. So, it, yeah. it happens,
1: so yeah. you don't have to play this back to back to back to back grind, grind, grind. And I think that to me is where when you it's it's weird when you see the. Teams getting called, I don't called up. I, I hate that term because there's talent everywhere. But like going from a a, a mid-major school, quote and a group of five, whatever you want to call them, up to the power five groups. It's not that any one team to me is uh, better or worse than the other. It's that the seventh place team in the Big Twelve or the seventh place team in the Big Ten or the eighth place team in the in the ACC or whatever is going to be about as good as the second or third best team in the American. Well, you then have to play that team every week. And Mm -hmm. I, do you feel like that has some sort of like just residual effect of like, there is no break so far in the calendar. Do you feel like that has something to do with it? Is that the consistency of the schedule? Because it's not just BYU. That's having trouble running the ball and stopping the run. I think UCF's the only team. I think Cincinnati to a point, sometimes when they have a bad opponent, they've been able to run the ball, but it's really UCF when, unless, uh, Plumlee's been in, They haven't been able to run the ball. Houston hasn't been able to do Jack unless they were playing Baylor, who's awful. And then uh, Cincinnati, like I said, has been hit or miss. I think Iowa state held them to, I think, 212 total yards or something like that. And then BYU. So like, do you feel like that playing consistent talent every week has had a residual effect on the BYU running game and run defense? Just a meat grinder.
0: I would describe it as a meat grinder. Yes, because BYU, they have played in independence the last uh, three to four years, the final three or four years of independence. They played as many as seven power five opponents during those years. So I, I always thought that BYU was maybe the best prepared of the four to come in because they had played more consistently those power five opponents. But to your point, they'd play a power five opponent, and then maybe play a G5 opponent. And then also they had an FCS game in there at some point as well. And th- that's the thing about it. They started the season with two warm-up games. They played uh, Sam Houston, who was uh, winless until just recently. And they also played their FCS game against Southern Utah, who came. both of them came to Provo. BYU won those two games. But then it was 10 straight games of Power 5 football. They went to Arkansas and then kicked off uh, the Big 12 slate. And it's been a grind. And, yes, there has been a residual effect on BYU's ability to hold up game in and game out against this. But the one thing that BYU pointed to before the season is we know we're up against it. We have never faced this level of competition competition uh, consistently on a week-to-week basis and they knew it was gonna be a ramping up period it's gonna take some time for them to be able to get the adequate depth that when those injuries do hit your frontline guys that you can have a guy step in and, and compete at a similar level that is the biggest issue for byus i think it's going to be a multi-year effort i'd say between three and four years maybe a full recruiting cycle before they can really i think point to the fact that hey we have elite caliber depth because i think they they know that this is this is big time football. They wanted this. They signed up for it, and they are getting the the benefits and the detriments from all of it.
2: So I want to look at uh, at both sides of the ball here, and then we are uh, a specialist
1: uh, kind of. It's focused. the most important phase of the game. It the is. He's the the got some good special teams. We can talk about also, that.
2: let's dive into right Okay, let's now go specialist
1: right now. Can I? I'm going to start questions. Uh, What's the altitude at Provo? Uh, And is there a diff has, has there been a statistical quantification of how much farther the ball travels in Provo versus on the road? Uh, well, it's 4,500 feet above sea level. So you you're, you're nearly a mile up in the air. going okay, and- has been less. The is not going to be affected. It's not yes, going to affect exactly. as much. Okay.
0: It's not going to affect as much. You're right. And the other thing about it is you have uh, had Ryan Rico, who is BYU's current punter, who has uh, had a really, really good season. He holds the single game record for the longest punt in a BYU football game at 83 yards. So I, I think I saw. Was that this year? Accepted. It, but it happened. I think well, it two years ago. I think. Is now. He I think there
1: was one. He's this had one this like, was, was 71. Like 70, yeah, I remember. Yeah. He was standing on like his own 10, and the ball like landed inside the 15. It was wild. Was
2: that? Was that with the role, or is That. Just no, it was in the
1: air. He, 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 in the air. <laughs> in the he's air. It he was here's unbelievable. Brian Rico is the size of
0: a defensive end. He's 6 foot 5, 230 pounds. Like he when he puts his leg into that ball sometimes, it's just like it takes your breath away cuz it just takes off you're like, wow, that's like a how <laughs> It's ball.
1: still and, stats it, still going. Yeah, hang and time, nine, the
0: hang time and 10. he's a, He's legitimately outkicked his coverage multiple times this season. And I mean,
1: a 71-yarder. You, yeah. you can't hang that thing high enough to outkick, to not outkick a 71-yarder. Yeah. That's the thing is, yeah, the, the altitude
0: does allow you to get some really, really nice long kicks if you want them. Uh, kickoff specialists and field goal guys feel like they can come here and kick longer than they ever have before for good reason because it's thinner air, and obviously you can get more distance on it. So, yes, it the ball does travel a lot further when it comes to special teams.
2: Six foot five. In the specialist role, we say that those kind of specimens have long levers.
0: Oh yeah. So Ryan Ryan's got that, no doubt.
2: Long levers. How, how about your uh, How's your kicker? You mentioned you guys have a Do you guys have one kicker doing field goals and one kicker doing kickoffs, or the same guy doing both?
0: So same guy doing both. His name's Will Farron. He was this kickoff specialist a season ago at Boise State. He's a, actually a Utah native, so he decided to transfer closer to home to play for BYU. Uh, the other kid they had competing with him, neither of them had taken a kick in a Division One football game before this year. Uh, farron has been, uh, all things considered, very, very solid, very, very consistent. 8 of 11 on his field goals this season. He did miss one last week against West Virginia, so dropping him to 8, to eight of 11 on the season. But his kickoffs, he's he's pinned teams back uh, consistently, which uh, I know that Kelly Papinga, their special. Teams coordinator, he puts a big priority on being able to pin teams back. So,
1: uh, all things considered, the kicker's done a pretty good job. Is it Papinga? Is that related to the – is it Brady Papinga? Was he the the NFL player? Is it like siblings or something? Brady's brother, yes. Uh,
0: Brady and Kelly both played at BYU. Kelly Kelly had a short uh, stint in the NFL himself with the New Orleans Saints, if I recall correctly. But obviously, Brady had the greater success winning that Super Bowl with Green Bay. Uh, Let me just put it this way. If you know anything about Brady, he is a wild man. I think I'm I'm putting it uh, nicely. Uh, Kelly is a little bit uh, toned down, but still has that same type of fire
1: in him. Okay.
2: Would you say that uh, your your kicker is he is he primarily putting put him in the end zone his kickoffs? Uh, two, two part question that and I guess what's his longest on the year? What what kind of length does he have? Is he a big big leg or is he kind of a short king?
1: kickoff guy? I'm guessing it's long leg. Yeah, so uh, he's the, the difficulty is going to become inside of forty. Well, funny enough, he's actually had uh, problems. His longest in the season
0: is 46 yards. He, he's actually all three of his kicks have come outside of 45. All three of his misses on kicks this year have come outside okay. of yards but he's got the ability we've seen him boom it from 55 yards he, i think there was one attempt he had at 50 plus this season and it had the distance just he just pushed i think it was wide right on that one it was a 50 yarder last week against west virginia he didn't miss it by much but yeah his misses have come all outside of 45 yards but as a kickoff specialist he is consistently putting him in the end zone no,
2: no doubt and and your, your punter we'd already talked about him but is he um you mentioned he's got a huge leg is he more of like a traditional just straight on punter is he a rugby style guy is he just hitting piss missiles is he kind of getting good you know what's what, what's what's his game like I
0: love the term piss
2: missile, by the way, <laughs> it's
0: a great term. Um, but no, Ryan's more your traditional punter. He's got how he came up. He grew up in Washington. He's not, uh, one of the Australian rules guys, but he does have the ability. If need be, they've, they've done it a couple of times Well, they'll have him like kind of collect it and take a couple steps to his left or right and kind of gauge things and then boot it. But he is very much your traditional standard NFL style punter.
2: Okay. And then your, your returners, as far as like kickoff and, and, and punt returns, are you guys? Cause for a while, Iowa state last year, I think all Iowa State did was uh, fair catch punts but this yeah. year we have opened it up and you know Iowa State's got a a special teams coordinator so we've uh Earlier on in the show, we, we talked about a uh, a kickoff return that that, that happened. Things <laughs> happened.
0: happened. Yes. Well, BYU had a kick return go for a touchdown against West Virginia to open the second half, and actually had everybody thinking, hey, they're going to get themselves back into this game. Well, uh, about 15 yards behind the play, there was a holding call, and nobody saw it until like after the play was over. So, uh, Keelan Marion is their primary kick returner. He's been very very solid. He is absolutely fearless to a fault at times, actually, because he will take the ball from six and seven yards
1: deep in the Ooh, in the end zone and that. bring it and bring it out and- i love that i'm covering right. kicks man i love that i you dare
0: see you he's corner over on the side like hey hey stop
1: yeah he's like- his, the guy who's the off turners just give him like the stop sign he's like yeah, exactly. no i'm coming out with it Like, do it let's go yeah so uh so he's done a fairly good job
0: this year. He's actually made uh, made a lot of hay with his kick returns. Uh punt return, uh similar to what US had with Iowa State previous. It was a lot of, okay, just just secure the ball, we'll take the fair catch. But this year they've had a little bit of a rotation with Hobbs Nyberg as well as Parker Kingston both returning punts. Both of them have been given the green light. If they feel like they have an opportunity to return the kick, do it. So uh they've got a pretty solid return game all the way around, but I would say the kick return is the stronger of the two right now.
2: As a as a former kicker, I I had a game um we we're playing at Colorado. Had one 90. Oh, you see it 90p. Okay. And you think oh. yeah, was that sweet, the one that he housed? back He sure did. He brought it. Well, that, out oh, it was, that no. was where
1: they ran a return. They ran a reverse on that one, didn't it? I, I don't know what it was. They, they, they ran a reverse on guy guy that took one. I was, out, I was covering on that kick. I was oh, covering geez. on that kick, and everything was they. They had okay. So this is complete side note. I have to. The, I feel like
2: the guy caught it like over his head. To like it should have been like out of the back of the end zone. The guy, full, guy caught it. Full
1: context on this one too. They had just fired their coach the the day before, like the that that week. And then it was also i don't remember the coach's name but the quarterback was the coach's son at the time they fired him and oh then, uh, dan hawkins hawkins yeah. it was yeah, So hawkins yeah. they fired hawkins yeah. literally the week before that and we go out there and then i i, I referred to this as the dead cat bounce which is like it's not actually alive they just had one big jump <laughs> afterwards so the first the opening return of the second half they run a they had run reverse right or excuse me return right return left and then they just snuck somebody else on there and they ran a uh like just a straight up reverse and this is back in the era of the three-man wedge and also okay. in the era where crackback blocks weren't mm-hmm. illegal and so you run yeah. a reverse and you can have a wedge and you have crackback blocks there are just <laughs> so many ear hole shots on that play and like you didn't sc- scout it because they don't i don't care where coach is gone anyway so no. yes grant you kicked it to like almost out of the entire stadium and they still returned it because they ran a, they had the they called a reverse for no good reason.
2: Yeah, and like that was the one where it's like 90 like okay, cool, feeling good about it. touchback to bring bringing out, how said, like you got to be shitting me. <laughs> so like, an- if I, if there's one of these versus in BYU, I'm i going to be pissed. <laughs> okay, well, right. Memories.
0: Uh, Keelan Marion may very well do that to you. Uh, he, he he like I said, he's absolutely fearless and uh, there are times I've seen that the up the up back or the the off returner like turn around and say, "You really taking this?" "Okay, we're going." "All right, all right here we go." This. You've it's got like the Cordero those. Patterson Yeah.
1: The very <laughs> exactly um okay so to switch gears like slightly mm-hmm. you're you guys out in western land out, i mean basically where the new group of the big 12 teams are coming in mm-hmm. um what has been the feeling from that sort of era or that corner of the sports world about the pack 12 dissolution and also absorbing teams because to me from someone from iowa we still have rivals we have kansas we have kansas state we had oklahoma state uh cincinnati coming in is sort of a regional rival like there's a lot of stuff that we can still have we have you know oklahoma state's still there yeah, like West we've Virginia's got our, our couch rival uh, yeah like we have rivals there's established rivalries but you guys coming to the big 12 sort of left you sort of in no man's land but then once utah colorado arizona arizona state they all kind of glob onto the big 12 it feels like it's the byu is the biggest benefactor or beneficiary, excuse me of this. But at the same time, it's the dissolution of the PAC 12. So like, what is the feeling that you guys have out there? Because it's uh, in your head, it, it makes sense. But like here in your like in your soul, it feels like it's bad. Is that sort of what the feeling is out there? Yeah, I think for well, I'll tell
0: you that for I do with sports radio out here in Salt Lake City. I can tell you Utah fans, they're mourning the loss of the Pac-12. They they have had a great run. They seem that.
1: obnoxious, by well, the way. Is that fans? true? They're,
0: they're a fun bunch. Let me just put it that way. They they cool. they make it they make it fun every single day and I'm sure Iowa State fans will love getting to know them. Let's just put it that way. And <laughs> it'll be it'll be it'll be awesome cuz it's just it's a back and forth all day every day with BYU and Utah fans in the state and it's going to happen with the Big 12 teams as well. But to your point, is that BYU is a huge benefactor from having these schools join them. The closest school to BYU before all this went down was Texas Tech and is over a 1,000 miles away in western Texas. So uh, they were on a geographical island out here, but now having Utah, who's literally 40 miles to your north, you have the Arizona schools, which are a you short- Colorado. Ride, Yeah, Colorado. And then Colorado, just on the front range of the Rocky Mountains here. It's awesome to have that because it just makes for a lot more of the regional aspect for BYU in this western wing of the, of the Big 12. So- yeah, BYU has benefited a lot, but losing the Pac 12, uh, speaking from a personal thing, I grew up here in Utah. I grew up in the West. I've watched Pac 12 football my entire life. Uh, it, it sucks to see that going away because there's been a lot of fun memories of that conference. And to see it, uh, it essentially be down to two teams now with Oregon State and Washington State, it's just absolutely crazy to me to think that it's all but dead. Yeah, you're going to
1: battle it out for yeah, the Pac 12, the Pac 2 championship? Pac yeah. 2 um,
0: championship, yes. They, uh,
1: <laughs> they so one thing have they did the when the big 12 kind of scheduling thing came out for the next few years did they protect you guys as travel because i would imagine a, a not insignificant part of struggling on the road is the mm-hmm. fact that you got to go four time zones over like and you're getting so that was a what a seven six or seven p.m. kickoff against west virginia right which yeah. it I means like a 3 p.m. kickoff it's, which so, is not too bad, but it's, it's two time zones. Oh, so sorry, time two time zones.
0: It's five o'clock here in Utah, but it's seven o'clock on on the East Coast. But those two time zones, uh, most people will tell you that sports scientists tell you that two time zones of travel, it's actually a major detriment. Uh, one time zone's okay, but two time zones will actually. And absolutely
1: sitting on you. a plane for four hours to get exactly. to Morgantown, and get, yeah. then get you, then you either have to fly to Charleston, West Virginia, or you got to fly to Pittsburgh and then drive okay. in. We had to do the same yeah. thing. It's a pretty drive, but the travel, I mean, from Ames, it's. Two and a half hours, then you got to get a ninety-minute bus ride from Provo. I bet that ride was three and a half hours in the plane, and an hour and a half in the like. That's just yeah. it, everything is off rhythm. In the next few years, did they protect you guys as travel and more or less schedule all of the or mostly Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, and did they protect you guys as travel or did they just say, all right, tough shit, fly around <laughs> the country.
0: So, no, they actually did a pretty good job, I thought, all things considered. I actually had a conversation with somebody uh, who knew more about this ahead of the time, and they said they were going to try and protect as much regionally as they could. Uh, There was still going to be some uh, just, they wanted to have everybody play everybody on go home and away in the four years, but uh, 2024, BYU's Uh. road games at Arizona State, at Utah, at Baylor, at UCF. So uh, you're uh, staying in the the, the mountain time zone uh, twice. You go to the central time zone to play Baylor once, and then you go to UCF. Now, the UCF thing, because BYU does make two trips to UCF in the next four years. It's really the one long road trip that BYU does consistently. Over the next four years, UCF does make a return trip to Provo. Uh, let me just say this. Uh, people in Utah love Disney. And going to Disney World <laughs> is awesome. So uh, I'm not saying that, that it's at, that Disney didn't make a phone call, but I can tell you this much. Utah and BYU are making an inordinate amount of trips to UCF over the next four years, and I have an idea why. <laughs> That's
1: great. <laughs> The hotels and restaurants, not the bars, but hotels and restaurants will be very happy that is there. Yes, uh, there will still be some people who like to imbibe. There are some BYU fans who do. I've got
0: a couple of buddies who are—they call themselves the Boozing coogs So you know, <laughs> the small,
1: the few, the yeah. proud, Boozing yeah. coogs. It, it, it is—it's a niche—it's a niche community. There's no doubt. Um, another thing, just curious about the it, coming from the West, where is the recruiting ground? Because BYU is such a unique animal. Like you look no. at. Baylor, is it Baylor Methodist or whatever, Texas Christian and and all the, kind of those schools, across the US you can find yep. Methodists and Baptists. So mm-hmm. And even you can probably make some exceptions, I imagine not everybody that goes to TCU is a Baptist or whatever their denomination is. But with BYU, because it's such a very specific school, mm-hmm. where is the recruiting ground? Because I noticed there's a good amount of Polynesian influence on there and that might be because Kalani Sataki is the head coach and can connect with that those kids pretty easily. But also, I'd imagine that is not. I imagine it seems like a lot of the recruiting ground comes west of the Mount the Rockies, as opposed to going east of the Rockies. Do, has there been conversation about how the recruiting ground changes or switches now that most of the flights or games that BYU is playing is going east versus going west? So yeah, I guess two part question is where is the normal recruiting ground for BYU, and then how does that change going forward with these the in the in the new conference.
0: Well, their traditional recruiting ground, you're right, has been the Western United States. They have pulled from California the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Hawaii was a lifeblood for BYU for years. Now everybody goes to Hawaii. I I get that. They even have pulled from the Polynesian Islands. Uh, They're, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think of uh, Tongans and Samoans, Somewhere around 50% of all of them in the world are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Most of your listeners will know it as the Mormon or LDS Church. Uh, that, that, that There's a large, large contingent of church members. Now, BYU, uh, the funny thing right now is they actually have their starting quarterback, Jake Retzloff, right now. He's Jewish. He, he, he's actually a how reformer. Does that, legit question. Uh, how does that work? BYU does not restrict it if you want to go to oh, okay. school there. You, you have to abide by their honor code. They're, they're not okay. going to restrict if you're being a. They actually have a very, very uh, healthy contingent of Muslim students who go to BYU. Okay. Uh, their basketball program, for example, has got three Muslim uh, basketball players on their men's basketball program right now. So they they are welcoming to all faiths. Now, the, the vast majority of BYU are members of the LDS faith. I, I think it's somewhere around ninety five ish percent of the students enrolled are members of the LDS faith, but Uh, BYU is welcoming to all Kalani has talked about the fact he wants to have a very racially diverse and also, uh, um, I guess, religiously diverse program he's welcoming to all types. Like I said, it's cool to see a guy like Jake Retzloff, who is a a practicing Jew playing for the BYU football program. It it wasn't too long ago that Jaron Hall, who's now with the Minnesota Vikings, was BYU's first African-American starting quarterback in their football history. And that's, uh, we're going back to twenty uh, is that 2016 when that happened. So there's been some history made under Kalani Sitake of late with regards to opening up, I guess, a little more of uh, the, the umbrella or the tent to allow other uh, players to come in. But yes, uh, it is an interesting uh, conundrum here for BYU. They will continue to recruit, obviously, at home here along the uh, Intermountain West utah arizona etc they will still go to california and to hawaii but they have talked strongly about going to atlanta going to texas going to florida and recruiting the heartland where they have necessarily drawn from previously the good news is the LDS faith has got more than 6 million members here in the United States of America. And they're all over the country. You guys, when BYU goes to Ames, you'll see a massive, massive uh, contingent of BYU fans who will travel there for that game. And I would venture to say upwards of 50% of them drove within the uh, general driving vicinity Mm. of Ames, Iowa. There's members of of the church everywhere and they travel to watch BYU play. So the nice part is, is they start playing more of these teams, going to Ames, Iowa, going to Uh, Waco, Texas, playing Dallas Fort Worth uh, area teams, that type of stuff. They'll continue to expand their recruiting profile because BYU's not afraid to pull from anywhere in the country as long as they feel like they've got a shot at a young man. They currently have a a cornerback they're very high on in the 2024 recruiting class who's from Atlanta, Georgia. Is not a member of the LDS faith. as an African-American kid who grew up and uh, Kelly Papinga, funny enough, from his time at Virginia uh, made inroads recruiting for the Who's while he was at Virginia, uh, got in with this program and to miss this kid to come to BYU. So they are expanding their footprint. It's going to take some time to really start seeing the fruits of it, but they are doing their best to build on it.
2: Well, a few more questions for you, Jake, and we'll let you go. Um, for, for the, the fans, you know, Iowa state fans who are traveling out to Provo, what are, uh, what are some things that, you know, fans could look to do as far as like, imagine hiking.
1: Yes. Uh, yes. Other absolutely. than hiking. Cause it's a beautiful kind. Of, I mean, that's one of those places I absolutely want to go to Provo. Uh, just Utah is gorgeous and mm-hmm. just pretty much anywhere, but. So outside of hiking, because you can just go to all trails or Google and just say, where's a beautiful hike. And it's me like, here's yeah. one, three minutes away. But yeah. other than that,
2: Oh uh, yeah. It's I would say that like, you know, sites, destinations, events, mm-hmm. things you could do, and maybe like your top three. And does Steve Young have a statue?
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: Steve Young does not have a statue. Actually I have uh they only have one statue outside of the Jim stadium. McMahon? It's not Jim McMahon. It's actually a cougar of all things. Lavelle Edwards doesn't even have a a, a statue of BYU. Now I'm advocating for them to start building those because they have a strong uh, group of guys who I think should have that. They do have their numbers retired. You'll see it on the inside of the stadium. It's up on the press box. They got all those numbers up there. But uh, yeah, so – BYU, the Lavelle Edwards Stadium is one of the most picturesque uh, settings for a football game you're going to experience. Uh, uh, Iowa State fans who make this trip, the stadium literally sits at the foot of the Wasatch Mountains. You nice. can you could go from the stadium, drive two minutes, and be in the mountains. It's literally that close. So uh, you can just enjoy the scenery around you. It's actually really, really fun to see that. I would encourage Iowa State fans coming out here, go to Sundance Ski Resort. It's owned by Robert Redford, the famous actor. It's uh, about a 20-minute drive up Provo, Camp. Canyon uh, from where BYU is located, got incredible restaurants. You can at this point in the year they haven't opened the ski resort yet, but they probably are still doing some lift rides. You can go uh, travel oh, up uh, the ski slopes and check all that out. I'd encourage you to do that. And then essentially, if you if you want to do some other stuff, go to Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City's a uh, forty minute drive from Provo. Uh, it's got all the food scene you'd ever want to see. You can go up to Park City uh, from Provo. You can be in Park City in an hour. Uh, and obviously the Sundance film festival is in park city. It's a who's who of, uh, of Hollywood when that is happening out here. So there's a lot to see, a lot to do. Uh, I would encourage Iowa state fans. If you want uh, like uh, just in terms of game day food uh, in terms of inside the stadium, you got to try the cougar tail. It, it's BYU's kind of main attraction. It's a, I, I've, I've been told it's between 15 and 18 inches long of a maple bar donut. It, it oh, it's, it's big, it's Ooh. rich. I can barely stomach finishing half of one myself. So share it with a friend so share it with or
1: a, like a family just like get one yeah. for like you, your wife, yeah. two kids, just get one. Yeah.
0: Just get one give it a shot it's absolutely awesome and then if you're looking for food nearby in uh, or in provo area i'd encourage you to, go to bam bam's barbecue uh cam Treyu, who's the proprietor of it he was trained in texas uh working at multiple establishments down there has brought a uh, true texas barbecue to utah and it is very very good so there that's, you go
2: that's good yeah i used to live in austin and i know just how good yeah, the barbecue is he, down there. He, was, he was trained
1: out
0: in hill countries so right there in the austin area so oh, there yeah, you go I salt Lake.
1: Yeah, Salt Lake, all those, all those, Franklin, all of that.
2: Yeah, sweet.
1: I, I mean, I, that's that's as much as I can go. I, I the only one is, uh, would you like to apologize to Melvin Edgem on behalf of Cougar Nation? <laughs> I was going to want- bring up, I was gonna bring up <laughs> Melvin Edgem too. I can if you want me to. I don't. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> uh, I don't. Is that does that name is that game remembered in BYU lore at all, or is it just us? I think it's probably more on the Iowa state side. frankly, I know of it just because I've worked around
0: BYU for so long and just Uh being a nerd, as I call myself, knowing what I know about college football, but I would say to, to the lay BYU fan, it's not going to ring a bell. So it probably sticks more on the Iowa state side of things.
2: That was a good memory. When I, I, as soon as I think of BYU versus Iowa state basketball, I think of Mellon. just, just the (laughs) chippiest. I think that was the chippiest game. The well, basketball had, team ever played
0: it was it was it was quite the game i i, I will say that yeah
2: well we appreciate your time jake i know I, I told you 23 minutes we're going on 37 minutes here so i appreciate your time thanks so much for joining us um and yeah appreciate the uh yeah welcome the, to the, the big 12 the, Club, the, the recommendations for everyone going out there and yeah welcome to the big 12 yeah. hopefully it's a good game a-
0: absolutely appreciate you guys having me on and i hope to do this again down the road as uh BYU makes makes return trip to ames in 2025
1: for sure cool. thank you jake like we said going into it that was uh I mean, thanks to Jake Hatch for coming on. You can tell that dude does radio like he he talked good. He talks real good.
2: Yeah, he's got a he's got a radio voice. Um, I mean, some some people got some people don't. I don't think I could because I, I talk too fast at times. And yeah, I'm you not talk too fast. I'm not quite sure that I am um, appropriate at all times either for the radio.
1: I feel like the words per minute between you and I like it's got to be the number the, the highest words per minute of any podcast on this Cyclone Atlantic Podcast Network. True fact. True, true fault or true fact?
3: Yeah. Who, who would be close? I mean, Williams and Bloom.
1: I mean, Chris. Chris's but,
3: conversational speed.
1: Brent, yes. Yeah. Chris's conversation. It's very, right. uh, po- I mean, as I don't want to say polished, but like it's very appropriate for appropriate radio pace. He's been doing it long enough. Grant and I get going. It's a little, it's a lot of work. I've really tried
2: to slow it down too, but you know, some people have told me before, you talk really fast and
1: I say, oh, am I talking
2: fast? You're listening slow. Keep up
3: and that's real and that's real
2: so thank you for all the loyal listeners everyone who's still listening uh great interview with with Jay Catch there we'll be back next week and as always adopt don't shop